Hello and welcome to the Sellerman Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. So I had a bit of a break last week um, because I've been kind of engaging with a world that I was, I guess, before I started doing this series of, of podcasts, unaware of really, and perhaps I should have been more aware of it and perhaps I should have been more engaged with it because it's where all our food comes from and, and it's the world of farming. <laughs> so it's the earth in which the seed is planted uh, that grows the ingredients for the delicious food that we eat or the ground from which the pasture grows that the cows feed on that produce the milk that make the cheese that we eat. So I've been speaking to lots of cheese producers. Some of them are artisan producers who buy their milk in. Some of them are farmhouse producers who look after the herd as well. And I wanted to kind of go deeper than that. And I wanted to start investigating a world of uh, farmers and the people who look after the land that inevitably feeds us. Now, through COVID-19, one of the major issues that seems to have raised its head is the fragility of our food system. The way that we source, produce, grow, eat, buy, purchase, vote with our wallet, however you want to put it, is really fragile and it's come under a huge amount of stress and scrutiny. And so I wanted to speak to the people who perhaps are looking at new ways of doing things. And one of those people, and the very first person I really wanted to speak to, was Cathy St Germans, who set up something, if you're not aware of it, called Farms to Feeders. We'll talk much more about it in the podcast. Farms to Feeders is essentially a very simple uh, online list um, of people who you can buy food produce directly from. So the farmers, the fishermen the people who look after the animals, who grow the crops, you can go direct to them. And obviously, as we've known, as we've seen from speaking to these cheese producers, there's been a huge rise in that, a huge upswell of public interest in buying produce direct from the source. Another issue that, of course, is raising its head is what's been going on uh, in in Parliament. Um, so the prospect now, their big headline product is bleached chicken. But But, you know, the implications of allowing low quality food, low cost food into our food system are wide ranging and potentially calamitous. So again, I wanted to start speaking to people about that subject as well. Let's get to the subject of this podcast. Cathy St Germans, uh, founder along with a few other brilliant people of Farms to Feeders, um, uh, originally uh, creator and founder of the Port Elliot Festival down in Cornwall, um, organiser of regenerative farming uh, gatherings, uh, somebody who gets things done effectively. So I was really delighted to speak to her for the Salomon podcast. I used to run a festival for 13 years. I, I was a co-founder and, um, and then ran Port Elliot Festival. And um, it started kind of um, early on before kind of anyone had really heard of boutique festivals. And we kind of, we started as a ostensibly as a literary festival but from kind of day one we had kind of one of the emphasis of the festival was on really good food and so we started to invite some chefs to come down and cook and we invited Morrow came down we were the first festival they did and they cooked a pile on a camping stove um it was kind of one of the big biggest audiences of the weekend and kind of the food side of the festival kind of grew from there as more chefs started to come down to cook like Sky Gingell started to come Hugh Bernie Whittenstall Richard Bertinet from Bath 
Peter Gordon, you know, real heroes, started to come to the festival and cook. And so the ingredients we were sourcing for them became more and more important to me and they represented the best of what we could find locally. And so I started to work with some of the local farms and there was a very good farm near Port Elliot, um, well, still is called Keverell Growers, Good Earth Growers, organic, uh, regenerative, superb growers. And I kind of got more and more interested in what they were doing. And we also had a lot of food traders coming to the festival who were making food for the, the festival punters. And again, that kind of really kind of gave me an insight into where food came from and the quality of the ingredients and, and the difference that that made. I stopped doing the festival a couple of years ago and started a new chapter in my life. And that's when I got into regenerative farming, kind of working with chefs, particularly like Sky Gingel, where the, her food is so much about the quality of the ingredients. And she introduced me to um, a biodynamic ph- farmer called Jane Scotter at Fern Barrow in Herefordshire, who's um, uh, an extraordinary, extraordinary grower and uh, incredibly talented. She, Jane was part of Neil's Yard Dairy for 20 years um, and lived in London. And she used to drive around the country finding cheese early on for Neil's Yard, amongst other things that she did for them. And, and when I began to see what Jane was doing, and that's kind of when I... I I got more and more interested in farming and I also went to America and spent some time with my friend Severin Montasha Fleming who publishes a publication called The Farmer's Almanac which is a really great read if anyone's interested in kind of radical farming, activist farming, a different point of view um, and I guess in a way kind of Severin helped kind of awake my consciousness into regenerative farming and land access and land rights and justice and so on. So last year I was asked to be part of a, of a regenerative farming WhatsApp group and there was all these incredible people talking all the time on this group from academics to um, scientists to farmers and it's, it was formed by Matt Chapfield from the Cornwall Project down here in Cornwall, really brilliant guy. And he worked with Philip Warren, he's incredible. And he um, asked me and Abby Rose from Farmerama to become admins on this group. And I kind of started to invite other people that I knew into the group. And it, then I realized that no, no one on the group had actually really met in person. And so I thought it would be, you know, I suggested us all getting together and having a kind of weekend conference Anyway, that's what happened. We called it the Regenerative Agriculture Gathering and it took place last November in Cornwall at the Conic Estate and it was a, an amazing weekend and um, we, we did it as a publicity ticketed event and it kind of sold out in like 48 hours. Um, and it really showed to me that the interest in good farming and in farming practices was really high. I think there's a real sense as well that to be interested in food is to be interested in farming. It, it, it's so much you know obviously it's linked when you engage your brain and look at it but actually you know to not engage with where your food is coming from but enjoy what you eat is kind of a nonsensical route exactly and we had talks all weekend on different forms of regenerative farming and Franco Fabini came from Matura and he talked on stage with Ollie from Mora Farm near here who supplies Matura and Milo Cochran, who works at Coombs Head, Abby Aspen from Duchess Farms, Farmer Armour Radio covered it. Tim Williams came from New Zealand, an amazing pasture and regenerative farmer. It's interesting when you hear people speak about it, there's sort of two ways. One, that it's this, it's, it's sort of a, quite a revolutionary idea. And in a sense, it is versus, you know, I suppose in more recent times, the way people farm. But it seems like it's it's the way that people perhaps were farming, you know, a few hundred years ago when you were only really feeding your local community rather than, you know, trying to send all your carrots to a processing unit just outside Reading to redistribute around the country. You know, 
how much of this is it kind of almost like a relocalizing of of the way we, we we source our food yes i was talking to someone this morning who worked in romania she volunteered on a farm on a peasant farm and this farmer was letting his cattle out during the day and then bringing them in at night in a kind of traditional way and that's actually kind of you know one of the tenets of regen- being a regenerative farmer she this this volunteer friend of mine is a regenerative um farming um disciple um if you like and so could see exactly that that's happening on this farm that it's, it was kind of the old ways so yes i think it does go back to how farming was and one of the big parts of it as well is the localization of it and by switching to regenerative farming outputs and farming systems you know are maintained without a, you know with a reduced reliance on artificial inputs so i mean it's quite a complicated system and there's, there's there's kind of various different ways of following it and it doesn't yet have um as i'm sure you know certification so it's not like organic uh for example you know which has that stamp but in a sense there's i mean i suppose arguably that in a sense there's an advantage to that in in that if it's advantage and disadvantage but i suppose the advantage is that once you've defined what something is the perhaps the larger scale people who want that sticker on their product can come in jump through the very specific hoops get that certification and that just ascribes a certain you know quality and 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 power within the market whereas you know there's something about the regenerative movement that i found that i find so i guess enticing in that it is effectively trying to recreate the way the natural world works but in on a farm in a sense um you know with somebody kind of overseeing it all and and you know pushing things in the right direction and it's nudging rather than shoving in the right direction i, ha- I had a really lovely conversation with mary quick and quick's cheese here I'm, I'm i'm sure is a great friend of yours and we were talking just at the beginning of the crisis and she was compared she compared the kind of ecosystem of uh, the small producers world as being a bit like the ecosystem in a in a woodland with rare um, fertility butterflies that only live on a certain flower. I think it was a violet. And if you take that violet away, then those butterflies will go. And in the same way that the soil, you know, if you, the kind of the kind of layers and layers of life in, in, in soil that's been looked after compared to when it's been um, kind of hosed from the top down with, with chemicals. Um, and and that that kind of she drew this kind of comparison with with this kind of the incredible biodiversity of, of the small food system with soil, and um, that really chimed with me. And I think you know soil health and carbon sequestration is at the heart of regenerative farming. I mean, the challenge is to is to create a, a world in which what you're talking about becomes the norm, if you like, because the positives are so clearly definable in many ways not and and we haven't even started talking about the food element of it you know we're talking at this stage about you know farming in a kind of an ethical way but also in a kind of an environmentally productive way you know we haven't even talked about the quality of of the produce that comes out of those little farms but but how do you take a model that works I guess at best on that sort of smaller scale how do you take that and spread it if you like it's one of the questions that's asked quite a lot and i think it's also kind of i think yes i I think that it is possible but i think that for me i'd rather see a patchwork of of smaller farms across the country than kind of thousands of acres of large farms and um and i think this crisis more than anything has shown how local is 
important. Small scale is important, um, builds resilience. And so, you know, reducing tillage, looking after the soil, maximizing diversity, minimizing bad practice and growing crops suitable for your climate are things that should be applicable. And that's where you you come in, in a sense, is that the thing that the, the farms to feeders that you've created and, and the, the weekend that we spoke about earlier is broadening the scope of the idea, is bringing it to more people, is is reaching out from these smaller, I, I like that idea of a kind of a patchwork, almost like a quilt of smaller farms that, that perhaps supply a, a bigger hole, you know, like farms to feeders, you can go direct and something that's come up a lot in these little conversations I've been having with producers around the country producers who absolutely relied on the restaurant trade you know 80% of their sales went into in particular London for example where that's that's the largest market of restaurants in the country most of their produce was let's say going on a van from Wiltshire twice a week into London overnight that was gone but actually after the initial terror has subsided they've discovered that there is a community not just geographically local to them but in a sense, a new local is forming online. So people are starting to source direct. What what you've done, which is brilliant, is you've created a database. So you've made it easier for the final consumer to find these people. But I don't know what you think about the idea of a kind of a new definition of local. It is no longer geographic, but because of the internet and the way the internet's being used in the right way, you know, people are discovering a way to support local but let's say from their terraced house in Walthamstow. Yeah, I love that, a new local online. That's great. <laughs> yes, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, what's amazing is like every time you go on, I mean, we haven't sort of talked about the origins of farms feeders, but kind of every time you go onto the spreadsheet, you can see how many people are on there looking. We've had like about 11,000 people now have accessed it since we started just wow. over three months ago, which is kind of incredible, really. Shopping online and delivery and so on. I, I think most of us have paid much more attention to our delivery drivers since the crisis began, men and women, um, and talked to them a bit more. And first of all, you're at home when they arrive, you know, they're not just leaving it on your doorstep and, you know, you're thanking them now because they've been, you know, risking their lives um, um, or certainly their health or the health of their families to keep us being delivered to. Um, and so actually, you know, you realise that you're also giving the delivery driver who I now know who lives in this guard, he's got more work, you know. So I'm not suggesting that I'm always going to be using stuff from across the country. That's not really the point. But but yes, I think the online um, network that's now clear is a really exciting one. And I think people are suddenly much more engaged with the idea that you can access this kind of produce. I mean, I think there's still a lot of work to be done to spread the word outside of perhaps the more rarefied bubble of those who work in food and drink and therefore are exposed to kind of the best if you like and know that it's accessible um you know a sort of more of a democratization of good food but in a sense something like the internet allows you to do that in a much more realistic way than you know going into i don't know a fancy food shop in in central london and you know paying through the nose for for, for a couple of chicken breasts you can actually have it delivered from and know that that money is going direct to the individual who's responsible for that produce i think that's really positive and i hope hopefully a, a positive change that we will see coming out of you know what has undeniably been a really horrendous time for everybody one way or another um but tell me about the kind of the the the, the, the initial germ of the idea with farms to feed us where did that come out of 
as all the restaurants and hospitality industry outlets and events and everything, you know, close overnight, I was aware from my regenerative um, and then friends in the community, you know, the kind of absolutely catastrophic situation that lots of my friends were left in. And um, what were they going to do? And several very quickly started delivery veg box, food box services, businesses. So Ross Geach at Pesto Kitchen Garden, he's 95% of his farm business went to restaurants in Padstow and elsewhere in Cornwall you know overnight he lost 95% of his business anyway he started a veg box scheme um very dynamic he started a virtual food festival he started working with local farmers to also have their produce in his veg boxes um and I picked up on that on Instagram I picked up on another friend from um region ag group who's a company called Pesky Fish that used to supply the restaurant trade mm-hmm. and he was starting to do direct and I had a long chat with him and he was like well it's actually you know you can get boxes they're not that difficult they're not that expensive you talk to parcel force you do this you do that and it was like wow you know and, um, and this was happening all over the country and I started to post about it on my Instagram and people were like what's this where's that da, 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 you know asking me questions and wanting to know more and so that's when I thought maybe this should be a, a kind of database of all the stuff that's happening. Mm. I mean, it's it has to be said like the actual database is there's no bells or whistles. It's a it's a whatever it is Google Doc online, um, it, it, and it has all the information that you need there. You know you, how to access what's on offer, what delivers locally, what delivers nationwide, different categories of food. You know, um, just on this Excel document. What what was was the idea behind that? That it's a more easily accessed resource. Yeah, I wanted it to be lo-fi and we wanted something that was quick and a Google spreadsheet with a Google form sign up um, that was easily shareable, easily printable, um, could be used by anyone of any age, not just people who are kind of, you know, rapidly using Instagram or whatever. And so lo-fi seemed the right way to go. And I, I, I kind of I kind of love that. I think that's what's been kind of great in a way particularly the early days so march the 13th kind of time and then the week following had to make some fairly quick decisions uh and that kind of adrenalized necessity to do stuff it's not a case of cutting corners it just kind of you know you just look very quickly through all the i guess you know bs frankly and just go straight to right we need to have this get this product to these people how do we do it in the kind of quickest easiest least kind of excessively bells and whistles way possible and and it feels very much a product of that kind of right we have a problem to solve and we need to solve it right now we haven't got time to go to someone who builds a fancy website or makes it look you know pretty and whatever it it just it needs to do the job because you know there's soft cheese for example going off on the shelves in my world you know we have to shoot we have to shift it now where do you see farms to feeders post-covid harnessing this moment and of the this direct sales culture that's kind of seems to be gaining strength the kind of how we how we harness this moment is like the million dollar question really farms to feeders i think are kind of part of our role has been kind of telling the stories of these farmers and fishers and crofters and herdsmen and women and so on and cheesemakers very very important and so that storytelling is also something that I personally really enjoy and so I think our, our role kind of going forward is continuing with the database um, continuing trying to show how much great food there is out there that you can either buy locally or online and how we kind of portray that I, th- I think we, we are now looking at kind of slightly you know maybe it becoming an app as well maybe you know the being um 
of slightly more bells and whistles now. We're becoming a not when a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've all been volunteering. Everyone's everyone's volunteered their time. And kind of got some amazing um, other people here working on Farm to Feeders. It's by no means just me. Your friend Tom Chatfield, Sophie Chats from We Are Earthly, Catherine yeah. Chom, Paul Chalmers, Livia Oldman, Chloe McKean, um, Fran Bailey, Tiger Lily. He's writing the really brilliant blog so there's a whole there's a whole group of us with so many great stories to tell and there's so many questions i want to ask as well um you know kind of looking at ways to fix the food chain we talk spend a lot of time talking about how it's broken and um tracing those journeys like you say is one of the, the things that we we're, we're doing working with farms um who need support so it could be that we start providing some tech support to farmers and producers who want to develop their own online platform we don't want to become a a market um a digital market we want to carry on as being a resource that can help send people to their own landing page or the open food network or what other portal they might want to use but i think um real life gatherings are something that i'm interested in once we can do those bringing together different producers and from farms to feed us and celebrating farming and the beauty of farming and that farms you know one of the things I, I i kind of say quite a lot is that farms feed us in many ways uh so that's kind of really what where um i want to head that was Cathy St Germans there uh, of Farms to Feeders. I really enjoyed speaking to Cathy. I really hope to do more work with Farms to Feeders, help promote whatever they do. They will think the work that they do is really valuable. And it's a finding a way uh, through the next few months and years and keeping that, that supply chain between the consumer and the producer open and, and accessible and, and perhaps see it as a, a genuine way to feed the nation down the line. Um, if you want to know more about Farms to Feeders, you can go to their website or check them out on Instagram and Twitter, both at Farms to Feeders. Please do. Please have a look at the work they're doing. Um, it's really important and really interesting. And uh, yeah, look, look forward to hearing more from them uh, through the next few months. See you next time for the Selliman Podcast. The Selliman Podcast is produced by me, Sam Wilkin. If you want to know more about Selliman, go to Selliman Sam on Instagram and Twitter or check out the website, selliman.co.uk.